Good morning, Zoe. Uh, it's good to be home. If you're brand new, my name is Micah, and I travel the United States of America full-time as a staff evangelist. We base our ministry right out of here. My wife, Steph, right down front, is also the worship leader. And uh, yeah, that's kind of nice of you to give it up for Steph. That's great. And um, uh, I just got back from a 12-day-in-a-row trip um, preaching across America in Georgia, North Dakota, and Oklahoma, and just landed. And uh, when I was in Georgia, I asked one of the workers at the gym, I went to a local gym to work out, I said, hey, what, what do I need to see in Georgia? I'm from Minnesota. What do I need to experience? What do I need to go see? And she goes, oh, like, you need to get some bold peanuts. I said, excuse me? She goes, yeah, you need to get some bold peanuts. I said, um, so, like, I love peanuts, but you're saying I need to put them in, like, a cereal bowl and eat them out of there? She goes, no, sir, you need to get some bold peanuts. I said, ma'am, I said, I love getting hard shell peanuts from the bag. Why do I need to put them from the bag in a bowl to eat peanuts, ma'am? She goes, no, sir, you're not hearing me. Bold peanuts. I said, ma'am, excuse me. Why do I need to put them in a bowl to eat peanuts? No, sir, you're not hearing me. Bold peanuts. And then I realized she was trying to say boiled peanuts. <laughs> boiled. She says bold. I say boiled. Bold. Boiled. I say, I'm going to go get my oil changed. She says, you better get your oil changed. Oil, oil, oil changed. Bold peanuts. Box of chocolates, I like gumbo shrimp, fried shrimp, coconut shrimp, I like battered shrimp, I like stir-fried shrimp, I like shrimp and grits, I like shrimp and margar I love shrimp. Supball peanuts. Yes, ma'am, all right, I'll go try some. So I went and tried some. They're pretty good. I liked them. They're pretty good. But that wasn't the best thing that happened in Georgia, y'all. I was preaching. I preached to teenagers primarily. I preached to thousands of them. If you're from the South, I just want to say that was no offense to you. Um, <laughs> I actually love the South a lot, like a lot. It's really great. Um, but no, what happened in Georgia is this girl comes up to me at the end of the camp. She says, hey, she goes, I just want to, to know something. I said, yeah, what's up? She said, I came to this camp wanting nothing to do with Jesus, like nothing to do with God at all. She said, my dad's uh, a drug lord. I've watched my dad deal drugs his whole life. He runs a drug cartel. And she said, recently I watched my dad get caught and put in prison. And I just think, how in the world, like, why would I ever follow God? Like, this is my life. And she said, after this week, after hearing what was said, she said, I want you to know I've fully given my life to Jesus. And I've surrendered my life to him. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. And we've seen hundreds of teenagers uh, follow suit. And so I wanted to report back tomorrow morning. I leave for Alabama, Alabama, roll tide. I leave for the south again, get some bold peanuts, get my oil changed, gonna have some. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'll stay on track. Um, so I leave tomorrow with Jackson Hansen. He's currently an intern. I'm gonna bring him with tomorrow. So that's that. Uh, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word today, I'm preaching a message titled Get Up. Get up. So if we can get up and read God's word, here's the scripture verses coming from the New Living Translation in Proverbs chapter 24. You can put the verse on the screen. Here we go in Proverbs 24 verse 16. Do we have that script? There it is. Here we go. It says this. It says, the godly 
may trip seven times, but they will get up again. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. You know what I love what scripture does? Is you notice how it says the godly right here. It doesn't say the sinner. It doesn't say the notorious, evil, wicked person. No, it says the godly may trip seven times. You know what I love about that? God already accounted for our future trip-ups. God already accounted for our future mistakes. It's possible to be godly and still trip up. It's possible to be godly, to love Jesus, and still find yourself tripping up. But scripture already accounted for it. And then it goes on to say this, but they will get up again. I also love that God attached a promise on there that they might not get up, that it doesn't say they might stay down or they'll think about it. No, it says the godly will get up again. That what's going to mark our lives as followers of Jesus is that we won't stay in the pit of sin. We won't stay in the pit of death, disease, and the grave. We will be people who get up again. That is amazing. Jesus, help us to get up. In your name, amen. Give it up for God's word. You guys can have a seat. Get up. Anybody here have a fear? You got a, you're afraid of something? Maybe you're afraid of snakes. Maybe you're afraid of spiders. Maybe you're afraid of public speaking, heights. Maybe you're afraid of clowns. Yep, this guy's in the front row. Just heard, Ugh. On the count of three out loud, I want to hear your biggest three, your biggest fear. Okay, one, two, three. Heard a variety of options. That's great. I think for me, one of my biggest fears growing up was somebody breaking into my house. I don't know if anyone else is afraid of that like me, but I think the reason why I was so afraid of someone breaking into my house was because I grew up across the street. Uh, late at night, I would go to the bathroom and I'd look out the window and there would be people sitting in the trees staring at my house late at night. And all I would see are their legs dangling in the trees. And so I'd walk into my dad's room, naturally. I'd say, Dad, they're up in the trees again. My dad would call the popo, that's short for police. And as the police showed up, they'd shine their giant spotlights in the trees. Sure enough, you'd see people jump down and start running from the police. And so I think the reason why I slept with golf clubs in my room wasn't because I love golf. But if some dude was going to walk into my room, he was going to get a putter to the head. I was afraid. No one going to walk into my house. And so there was this one night my dad said, hey, son, I'm going to go to the grocery store with your three sisters. Do you want to come with us? No, dad, I don't. Well, why not, son? Because, dad, I've been surrounded by females my whole life. Dad, I just want some man time. I just want some time at my house. Just want to be alone. Okay, son, I get it. I'll be back. I'm going to take your sisters to the grocery store. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. I'm chilling on his big leather couch. I got a Coke and some popcorn. I got ESPN on. I'm feeling good about my man time right now. I'm feeling real good. And as I'm watching TV, it's about 9 o'clock at night. There's a set of windows behind the TV. And as I'm watching TV, I see somebody walk up and put their face against the windows and they're staring at me while I'm watching TV. So I immediately get up, walk up, open up the door. I'm like, hello. Hello. I saw you. I'm a grown man. I have a beard. And I work out. 
if you come into my house, I will jack you up. And I immediately shut the door and locked it with every lock possible. (laughs) On the outside, I felt real tough. But on the inside, I'm like, I'm going to die tonight. (laughs) And how many of you know when you're freaked out and you're home alone, you have to turn on every light in the house? You can't have any dark rooms. You know what I'm saying? You got to turn on every light. And so there I am. Every light in the home is turned on. It's dark outside. And I'm sure there's some mom in a soccer van driving by with her four kids. Mom, why does that house have all the lights on? Oh, it's probably some 20-year-old boy freaked out. Home alone. It was me. Freaked out. The TV's muted. I saw some random guy staring at me watching TV. Some creeper. And then I remembered I forgot something. Back around the left is my dad's office. The screen door was shut. The glass door was left open so a breeze could come in. I remember I forgot to shut the door. So before I could get up, I heard the screen door slowly begin to open up. And all I hear is... And then I heard it shut. (laughs) So be like, I did not want to come to church to hear some guy with a beard go. Now I know someone's in my house. I heard it shut. And my face is glued to the left to see who's going to turn the corner because I can hear the guy walking around in my dad's office, going through papers, going through his stuff, trying to find something. And I go, hello, hello. And then I see the scariest clown mask I've ever seen in my life. All I see is the guy's head come around the corner like this. And he stares at me for three seconds. And then he pulls his head back around the corner like this. And when I saw that, I was like, (gasps) You know how you scream so loud, but it's just air? It's like, (gasps) And I'm thinking to myself, why do you got to do the head thing? Like, if you're going to kill me, just do it. Why do you got to torture me in the process? The guy comes around the corner. He goes, give me your wallet. Give me your wallet. I'm like, all right, but it's. My dad was the one who freaked me out. He was on the way to the grocery store with my three sisters. He said, hey, girls, I got an idea. You want to hear it? Yeah, Dad, yeah, what is that? You want to see your brother get the living daylight scared out of him? Yeah, Dad, yeah, scare him. So my dad went to a Halloween store, bought the scariest mask he could find, freaked the living daylights out of me. He goes, son, the look on your face. You were so terrified, son, that as your father, I could no longer keep doing this to you. I'm like, gee, you're a good dad. You're so compassionate. My, my dad says, son, next time somebody breaks into our house like that, you get up and you defend yourself. And here's the deal. Here's the reality. Some of us have grown so comfortable 
for letting the stupid devil walk into our homes and rage us and never being able to get up. And we were called as people of Christ to get up, to not let sin rule our life, not sin, let sin rule our homes, to get up, to be who Jesus has called us to be. But here's the deal. God has called us to run this race with perseverance. And sometimes in the race, this is what can happen. Is before, when I never followed Jesus, my life was messed up. My life was broken. My life was lost. I was headed this direction, kept going this direction. But when Jesus showed up, my life was changed. When Jesus showed up, it's like I started on a new path. Behind me was the old me. Right now is the new me. But know what happens when you follow Jesus? Is as you follow him in the journey, every now and then you trip up. And you fall down. And in this moment, these moments are crucial as a follower of Jesus. Because the voice you listen to in these moments will dictate if you get up again or not. Because there's a lot of people that when they trip up, they believe the lie that this is who they are. They believe that when they trip up, they'll never get up again because this is just who they are. Or something happens in our life and we keep walking. We keep trying to follow Jesus and we trip up again. Some disease shows up on our doorstep. Something happens to us. And now we get the choice. Will we get up again or will we stay down? And then we get up to keep following Jesus and then we trip again. And now we find ourselves here. And a lot of times as Christians and followers of Jesus... We completely forget on the progress Christ has brought us from. The devil wants us to think that it was worth it before Jesus. But what you don't see is you're way further along in following Jesus even in your trip-ups. And a lot of us will let Satan never allow us to see the process when in reality Christ is at work in our hearts making us more and more like him every day. I was not called to stay in my sin. I was not called to stay down in my trip-ups. But the godly, they will get up again. They'll get up again. They weren't meant to stay down. But you were meant to keep following Jesus. And the godly, they do three things. I actually have seven, but for the sake of time, I'm only going to give you three. But the godly, they do three things to get up again. Number one, the godly do this, is they get up into the word of God. They get up into the word of God, not just at church. Every single day, they let the word read them. They let the word teach them and guide them. The follow Jesus means to have a love and a passion for his word. To follow Jesus and to get up again means the word is what you desire to meditate on, to read, to get inside your heart, to get inside your mind. You know what I find really interesting is Jesus, who is our model and example, the first words out of his mouth when Satan tempted him for 40 days, it was three words. It is written. It is written. When Satan came on his doorstep to fight him, to tempt him, Jesus came back by saying, it is written. How in the world are we supposed to get up when we don't have the word ready on the tip of our tongue? How in the world are we supposed to get up when we don't hide the word of God in our heart and in our mind? God gave us his word to help us get up. Here's what it says about Romans 10. Romans 10 says this, consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Look at what the next scripture says in Psalms. How can a young person stay on the path to purity? Y'all, this ain't just for young. It's for old and young alike. By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Here it is. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Y'all, the word of God is needed more than the, even the air that we breathe. 
Man doesn't just live on bread alone. Man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Proverbs says, store up, treasure, store up the commands, tie it around your neck, bind it on your heart. Psalms 1 says, meditate on the word day and night. You will be like that of an oak of righteousness planted near the streams of water. No matter what age you are, you will bear fruit in season. Y'all, it doesn't matter what happens circumstantially. It doesn't matter what happens around me. No matter what comes my way, I am called to get up in God's word every single day. Let me show you what this looks like. Every single day, you can ask my wife. She sees me. Every single day, I find a chair just like this. I open up my Bible to Psalms. Okay, Psalms. I'll read one chapter of Psalms. You want to know why I read Psalms? It's because when I read Psalms, I'm reminded that my humanity is validated. There's sometimes I want to bash someone's teeth in. There's sometimes I'm upset and I'm angry with God. And know what scripture teaches me? It's okay to bring my honesty to them. It's okay to know that God's big enough to handle my humanity and my honesty. So every day when I read Psalms, you want to know what most of Psalms is? It's lament. It's grief. And you want to know what God's telling me? Hey, hey, you, um, I wrote a whole section of the Bible about grieving and lamenting because I made you in such a way that I knew your life at some point would lament and grieve. So I gave you a whole portion of scripture to be in every day to remind you it's all going to work out. I read one chapter in Psalms. I read one chapter in Proverbs. You want to know why? Because I know how big of a fool I can be. I know how bad my flesh can be. And you know what I need to counteract that? I desperately need wisdom. I desperately need the word of God in Proverbs. I'm convinced one of the best things we can do is read Proverbs every day. A chapter of Proverbs every day will help equip you to navigate choices. Will help you equip you to navigate relationships in life. So one chapter a day in Proverbs, I'm getting the wisdom. It's why next week we're starting a whole series in the book of Proverbs. Because I don't know about y'all, but I need wisdom for the days that we're living in. Godly wisdom. People who don't even profess Jesus, multi-millionaires, read Proverbs. Because leading organizations, they need wisdom that's not from this earth. They need wisdom that's godly. Wisdom that will lead them to make the right decisions. And then the last thing I do is I read one chapter in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Here's why. It's because Christ... Christ has called me to be like him. But how can I be like Christ if I don't know him? How can I be like Christ if I don't hear his words every day? Whenever the words of Jesus are spoken, I slow down. Whenever the words of Jesus are said, I slow down. I want to know what Jesus has to say. I want to become like Christ. And so every day, the word of God isn't an option. I don't have to, I get to. The word of God is a lamp unto my feet. It inspires faith within my bones. It's something that my family gets to be built on. Y'all, we can build our lives on so many different ideologies, so many different philosophies, but the one that will stand the test of time, the one that stands the time of eternity is the word test, y'all. To build my family on the word, to let my future generations be built on the word of God. It's eternal. Man's tried to extinguish it. Man's tried to burn it. Y'all, it is pure and flawless. It stands the test of time. There is no greater thing you can build your life on than the word of God, y'all. So how do we get up? We get up into God's word. Corey Tenboom, this woman who gave herself to the Jews in the concentration camps when Hillel were trying to carry, you know the number one possession she held on to was a small little Bible. 
what mattered more to her than the clothes, than the necklaces, the jewelry, more than any money. The thing that mattered worse, most was that she might bring her little pocket Bible with her. She was able to sneak it in her one prayer. God, let me keep this word hidden. God, let this word not be found by the Germans. God, let this word be kept. And then when she got in concentration camps and women all around her are dying with fleas and diseases, you want to know what the women would say? Corey, open your Bible again. Corey, I want to hear the Bible again. Corey, read it to us again. And there Corey Ten Boom would be in the middle of a concentration camp. And the one thing the women wanted most was to hear the Bible again. You want to know why? Because when you hear the word, it brings life in the middle of death. When you hear the word, it helps have hope and strength and perseverance. When you hear God's words, you realize what life is all about. Don't take my word for it. Take a look at what research has proved and what happens when scripture gets inside you. Play this video. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 uh, uh, general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80. And they just wanted to see how we are engaging with scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. It, they weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, when we're in the scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday, that's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message, one time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'll, I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map, like there was a heartbeat. Something happened, again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, th I mean, there'd be a gradual incline right. on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Crazy. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith wow. jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's Word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there. It's fun to see statistics already prove what God already said was going to happen. It's fun to watch research prove and validate on what happens when a man and woman literally build their life and do what his word says. It's beautiful. It's like reorienting ourselves to literally how God made us and then living it out to see it happen. How do the godly get up again? Number two is the godly get up in a godly community. Because you want to know what Satan loves to do is he loves to find the person who loves Jesus and do everything he can to isolate them. Because when you trip up and when the lies come into your head, here's the deal. You can either run 
by yourself and move away from the church. There are so many people, this is what breaks my heart, is there are so many people who aren't in church today because they feel like they're not good enough. Y'all, last time I checked, no one in the room is good enough. We're all only in seats because of God's grace, which means every single person is welcome in this church because we all need the same Savior who can do something about it in our life. It's why we desperately need godly community. Y'all, do you realize the church was not invented by man? It wasn't man instituted. It was God divinely breathed and ordained. When Pentecost happened, God assembled 120 believers in the upper room that were praying and praising God. The Holy Spirit showed up, baptized them in the spirit. And that day, something called the church was born. In Acts chapter 2, you see people met together regularly, praying together, worshiping together. They gathered around the apostles' teaching. They shared what they had together. They were a light to others. They welcomed others to join in their community. If you've ever come to church and wondered, why do they do worship every Sunday? Why does someone get up and preach about the Bible? Because there are distinctive characteristics and qualities that God instituted for his church. Here's why. God knew you would trip up, but he knew you would need a whole family to help you to keep going. He knew that you would need people around you who would point out issues, who would help you navigate life, who would help you set up a bank account, who would help you take care of your kids. Y'all, the best decision a single mom ever did was bring her four children to church. I was one of them. The whole reason why I have a microphone in my hand today is because a single mom said it was important to get her kids to church. Every day when I showed up to church, dads in the church became dads to me. People paid for my camp. People paid for scholarshiping me to go to youth convention. Y'all, God places the lonely in families. And the family he had in mind was something called the local church. It's why we need one another. It's why it's so important that we come together. Because it's not if you trip up, but when you trip up, that you need godly community to call you back up, to get up and keep running the race God has for your life. Y'all, we need one another. They will trip up, but they will get up again. Take a look at this picture. This is a picture of a young man who was born blind. His name is Lex Gillette. He was born blind, but he didn't decide to let his trip up keep him down. He decided to get up and run on something called the long jump. You might be thinking, like, homeboy's blind. How is the dude jumping? He's blind. What in the world? That makes no sense. Well, this guy right here is his guide. And this is the guy who helps him and teaches him how to jump. And during a Paralympic event one time, he ran to jump and he completely missed the sandbox. He fell on the pavement, fell on the track, hurt himself. The whole crowd grasped, gasped, like, oh. You want to know what his coach did? He went over to Lex, who was blind, completely missed the sandbox and said, you're going to get up again. You're going to do this again, Lex. This doesn't define you. This trip up isn't who you are. Lex, you're going to do it again. Lex, I need you to get up. You're going to get up and do it again. Lex gets up, goes back for his second jump, his second run. You want to know how he's able to run? Is his guide stands right by the line where he's supposed to jump, and his guide says this, fly, 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 fly. And the louder his voice gets, that's when he knows that he's supposed to jump. Y'all, we were supposed to have friends in our life, godly community, who will look at us and say, fly, fly. Fly, 
fly because all of us have blind spots in the room and we need the body of Christ to do life together to be the godly people he called us to so that when we trip up and other people talk behind our back so that when we trip up and everyone goes oh did you hear what they did we have a godly family that's waiting to get us back together to say get up you're gonna keep going we're gonna fight for you we're gonna walk together with you you're not alone get up because who you do life with matters. And the voice you're listening to will either help you fly or help you stay down. He called us to be in godly community. And then number three, he called you to get up and look up. Calls you to get up and look up. We were never meant to stare at our sin and our trip-ups. And we were never meant to stare at the sins of other people. But what were we called to do in Psalm 121? He says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. I look up. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Y'all, this is beautiful. I have stood in the very spot where this psalm writer wrote this passage. Do you know what I saw when I was there? I was in Jerusalem. And it says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. I stopped reading and I looked up. And surrounding me in Jerusalem were mountains. And then it hit me. The psalm writer understood his help come from by who he was looking up to. But he was looking up to someone who could help him get up, who could deliver him from his troubles, who could set him free no matter what happened to him. So what are we called to do as followers of Jesus? You get up and you look up. Look at how Hebrew says it right here. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Get rid of it, y'all. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here it is. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. What you stare at is what you will become. Who you stare at is who you'll become like. And it says right here. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Y'all, every time I look at Jesus, I'm reminded that he was falsely accused, that he was gossiped about. Every time I look at Jesus, I realize that people hurt him. Every time I look at Jesus, I realize that people falsely accused through slander, gossip, talked behind his back, was mistreated, was horribly treated. And y'all, here's the deal. Jesus was hurt for me, so I didn't need to stay in my heart. Jesus was pierced for my transgressions, so I didn't need to stay down in my trip-ups. And the more I look at Jesus, the more I realize because Jesus got up, I can get up too. That he made a way out for me. In fact, it reminds me of a story of someone named Florence Chadwick. This is a picture of Florence. Y'all, in 1952, she was the first woman to ever swim down the English Channel and back. She set a world record doing it. And then in 1952, she set out to accomplish something that's never been done before, which was to swim from Catalina Island to touch the coast of Southern California. It was a 26-mile swim. She had trained for months to put her body through rigorous training. She had done through all the hard things, and now it was time to take the actual swim. When she got in the water off the coast of Catalina Island, her mom and friends were in a boat. She had other boats surrounding her, and there she set off to swim. She kept swimming, kept swimming, and then finally 
cramps begin to set in. Severe cramping was cramping her body. Her mom said, Florence, you got it. Florence, keep swimming. You got this. Don't give up. You've trained so hard. Don't give up now. Florence, you got it. Florence's body cramped so bad she couldn't pedal, she couldn't swim or kick one more leg. Her body seized up. They grab her body, pull her in the boat. And when she gets in the boat, she goes, Mom, how far away was I? Mom, how much further did I have to go? She goes, baby, you were less than a mile away from finishing. It broke her heart that she didn't finish, but she gave up. Reporters were waiting to interview her, but they never got the report because she never showed up because she never finished. Florence experienced a trip up, a lot of which a lot of us experience. Something happens, maybe our own doing or not doing. And in those moments, we can let those define us or we can let those trip-ups refine us, and we get the choice. Florence went back to the pool to train harder, to get back to the pool to try to complete the task that she was called to complete. She goes back and is ready to set off to try number two. When she sets off the coast, her mom and her friends are once again in the boat, and sure enough, what happens to Florence? Her body cramps up again. Florence, you got this. Don't quit. Hey, you're only a mile away. Keep going, Florence. You got this. Her body cramping up again, barely able to swim. Florence finally pushed through and made it. And when she touched the coast of Southern California, the reporters walked up to her and said, Florence, how did you make it this time but not last time? Florence, how'd you get to the other side this time? Florence said, when I felt like quitting, I felt like to not keep going. What helped me persevere is I carried a mental picture in my mind of myself touching the coast of California. Y'all, do you realize as followers of Jesus, we literally have the greatest mental picture of all time. That when we feel like quitting, that when we feel like staying in our trip-ups, that we have the author and perfecter of our faith who was bloodied, beaten, and tortured took a death that you and I didn't deserve, that the Savior of the world, our example who we look to, was someone who didn't stay down, but was someone who got up again. Which leads me to my whole point, the big so what of this whole message, which is this, is because Jesus got up, it's time for us to get up. Everyone thought he was going to stay in a grave. Everyone thought he was a liar, an imposter. Oh, he, yeah, he was supposed to be the Savior. Yeah, he was supposed to be the Messiah. But now he's dead in a grave. Now he's dead, lifeless. But then his heavenly Father came and resurrected him from the grave three days later, y'all. And because his body's not in a tomb, I'm not called to stay a victim. Because his body's not lifeless, I'm not called to stay in my trip-ups. Because he's no longer in a tomb, I'm called to get up because my Savior got up. And because he got up from the grave, I get to keep getting up and I will get up again. It's the power of the message of Jesus that I will not be defined by what happens around me. I will not let other people dictate my life, but I will build my life on the one who got up 
again. And one day I will have a resurrected body too that will one day be in heaven worshiping him, celebrating him. I will leave this world of misery. I will leave this world of trip ups and mess ups. And one day I will be caught up in heaven with my heavenly father. One day I will get up and testify on how amazing and beautiful Jesus is. Don't you see? The life the church God called us to live was one of getting up again and again and again and again. Getting up, not because of your power or your strength, but because the power of Jesus is enough. The grace of Jesus is enough to sustain you, to heal you, to set you free, to get up again. It's the power of who Jesus is. It reminds me of a young man who was on his way to his village. He's a Maasai warrior in Africa. While on his way to a village, an evangelist stopped him and shared the good news of Jesus with him. This warrior gave his life to Jesus, so full of joy. He went back to his village to knock on all the doors. He was so excited about who Jesus was, how he saved his life. He couldn't wait to bring the gospel to the people in the village. And when he knocked on the doors, the village guards who knew him grabbed him, drug him to the middle of the village, allowed women to take barbed wire and start beating his body with brooms and barbed wiring his body. He gets drugged out of the village. He barely makes it to a watering hole where he he can tend to his wounds and care for himself. And as he's laying there, he's asking the question, did I say something wrong? Did I present the gospel in a weird way? Because Jesus so changed me, I thought my village would be so excited to hear the message that's changed my life. I thought the joy that I experienced that they might have too. Why did I say something wrong? He could have stayed down. But he got up and he went back a second time. And this time when he started knocking on the village doors, the guards once again grabbed and brought him to the center of the village. Women start beating him with barbed wire. The wounds that were trying to heal got worse and deepened. His body became more disposed and decayed and he gets unconscious and drug outside the village. After he wakes up, he's lying there again saying, am I doing it wrong, Jesus? Because you saved me and I want these people to know it too. He had a choice to stay down and never go back to his home village. But he got up a third time. And when he went to the village, he started knocking on the doors, saying, it's worth for my people to know this joy. It's worth for my people to know the love of Jesus. I will gladly get beat again and again. As he knocks on the door, they bring him to the center of the village. This time, as the women start beating, he watches them and they begin to weep as they beat him. He goes into an unconscious state again, except this time when he wakes up, the women who were beating him were now tending to his very wounds. And they said, we wondered why you kept coming back. We wondered why you kept getting up. And surely we realize that if you're willing to lay your life down like this, it's worth hearing what you want to hear. Tell us more about Jesus. The whole entire village gives their life to Jesus. What would have happened had he stayed down and never got up? Don't you realize getting up is more than just you. Getting in, up impacts those around you. Getting up with the message of Jesus impacts your family. Getting up with the message of Jesus impacts your children and your grandchildren. Getting up again impacts a world around you that needs to know that there's someone 
who came to set them free. So getting up, it ain't just about you. It's about this world who will see a church united. Getting up, not pompously, not self-righteously, no. Getting up to serve one another. Getting up to love one another. Getting up in God's word together. Getting up in godly community and getting up and keeping our eyes on Jesus. I have one challenge for you today, which is this. Is when you trip up, remember his still small voice telling you, get up. Get up. When you find yourself there again, it will be his voice that will say, get up. Today we're going to end our service by singing to Jesus how as a church-wide we're going to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, those who persevere to the end will be saved. Those who keep the faith. You want to know what so much of following Jesus is? It's getting up again. It's choosing to follow him again. Tomorrow I'm going to get up again. And what breaks my heart is when so many have fallen away from the faith. It's why we need these three things to help us keep the faith. Did you know Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not be sifted? How much more is he praying for ours to not be sifted either? Church, we're called to get up 